beautiful people, and welcome back to In Living Color Abroad. I'm your host, Angel Rodriguez. And in this episode, you'll be listening to Brittany, who is living abroad in Kenya. Now, Brittany tells us a story of how she got accepted to work abroad in Kenya, and then how she initially rejected the offer and didn't want to go. What is like to teach in a predominantly black country, but to a student body that's predominantly white? And with colleagues that are predominantly white, which is an interesting challenge that she talks about compared to her experience back in Atlanta, Georgia. Also, the different challenges that living abroad as an African-American in Kenya brings about, but also the privileges that one has as an expat living in Kenya. And finally, what she hopes to learn and get from Kenya in her remaining time there. Hope you enjoy. This is A Living Color Abroad. Brittany, welcome to In Living Color Abroad. How you doing? I'm doing amazing. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm glad you took out the time to do this very special interview on Kenya. So let's get started. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Brittany Caldwell. I'm an international teacher from Atlanta by way of Washington, D.C. And I am currently living in Nairobi, Kenya, and building in Accra, Ghana. Wow, that we have a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so <laughs> let's start. Let, so we have a mutual friend, uh, a Miss Jasmine Brown, correct? Yeah, so me and her went to Howard together in D.C. Yeah. Ah, okay, right. And I used to work with uh, Jasmine. shout out to Jasmine, uh at a school in New York. Shout out to Jasmine. what's up? Girl. Yeah, for five years, and we've remained close friends ever since. Um, all right, shout out to also to HU. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> let's start from the beginning. Um, what got you into this international realm? Well, I was feeling super miserable in Atlanta, to be honest. I was about to quit. Like, you know how we have rough years as educators, and you're mm. like, yo, forget this. Like, I'm done. I'm done, <laughs> done. I was just reading, like, the done-done era. And then I met this girl, Serenity, who was like, yo, I'm living amazing in the Netherlands. So I was like, damn, sis. And she was, like, telling me about her benefits and her life. And I was like, yo, I got to give this a try. So I applied, and I got the job. So I was like, damn, life rocks. The job where? In Kenya? In Kenya. So I applied and then I actually backed out and started changing my mind and didn't want to work overseas anymore. Mm. And then they started hitting me up like, yo, please, we need to. <laughs> yeah, they were like, we need you. We need diverse hires. Come out, come out. So it like ended up going my way, but it was just taking that leap of faith. So take us through that process. Obviously, I, I, I've been through that, right? Getting hired at internationals, uh, internationally. But talk about those uh, cold feet that you had. What what made you back out initially? Um, I was just like, damn, Africa? Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go to Europe initially. Mm. I wanted to do like Amsterdam or like, you know, something that's close to get home. Right, right. And I was not on my mind. All these African cities were just not on my mind. That's not my vibe. Accra was something I was used to and comfortable with. I applied. 
didn't get it. So I was just like, damn, I never really considered teaching anywhere else in Africa. That's super interesting. And I think that's the biggest thing, though, about going abroad, right, in the international school realm is you got to be open to different options that are available to you. Um, yeah, you've got to be open because you're not. Everybody is going to want Europe and all these little places, you know? Right, right, um, right, right. Everybody's not going to get it. Somebody's going to have to go to Asia. Somebody's <laughs> going to have to go to Asia. Right. Over the people that want Asia, over the people that want Africa, right? So, all right. So you get accepted to Nairobi, Kenya. It's, it's funny we're doing this episode on Kenya because I, w- I had plans to go to Kenya in uh, summer 2020. But then a little something called COVID happened, which threw everything out the window. <laughs> but I was very excited to go there. But I, I still have plans, hopefully, to go there in the future. But as of right now, who knows when. So when you thought about Kenya and the continent of Africa, what was on your mind before you went? Um, so I was used to Ghana. How are you used to Ghana? How are you used to Ghana? My boyfriend is Ghanaian. Okay. So, you know, we've been to Ghana a couple times. Um, what so have you. Ghana is actually not as developed as Kenya. Okay. So when I got to Nairobi, I was shocked. I was, when I came to Nairobi, I was in a Ghanaian mindset. Like, oh, my God, like, um, whatever, whatever. But when I actually got here, it was very cosmopolitan. It's a big city here in Kenya, and I was not expecting that. I had psyched myself out almost coming here. Like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to handle it. Oh, my God, it's going to be ghetto. Oh, my God, it's going to be this. And, like, it, it's, it's like, better than Atlanta. My life here is better than Atlanta mm. when I was in there. And this this is in Nairobi? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Nairobi. Okay, okay. So, so you, how long have you been there so far? Four months. Four, and four and a half months. months. All right. So this, this just happened. You are fresh. <laughs> it's is international living. And did your boyfriend go with you? Um, no, he's in Ghana. Okay, okay, okay. But all right. So now take us through Kenya, because again, like you said, most people when they think about the international realm, the first thought they're, they're not thinking about Africa for you know a myriad of reasons, right? Whether it's too far or they don't know enough about it. So I guess what was it about? You mentioned uh, the the people that hire you. How they they said, "Hey, we need more diverse hires." So what is it that told you? You know what? Let me take this leap of faith. Was it just that that you know that they're kind of their pitch to you? But what else was it that told you? You know what? Let me give this a try. The money, honestly, <laughs> international teaching is so good. Um, in America, it's like we get treated like shit for bare minimum, and here they pay my rent. They give us an advance car loan. Wow. They, yeah, I have, like, amazing health care. My son has amazing health care. My son gets free tuition. It's just, like, endless benefits. And then on top of that, I get paid a salary. Wow. Okay. So you move, so you have a son. You moved to your son there. No. So my son oh. lives with his dad. And he'll be moving here next year. But... It's just like the benefits are crazy. Um, living abroad, I've never had a maid. Like I'm bougie now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've switched the style up. You feel me? Like I've never been able to afford a maid. I've never been able to afford these things. My son is here. He's been here for two months because he's virtual. Mm. So he's been here for the past like two months, and um, he, I can afford a nanny. You know. Right, 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 right. 
Now, it, it's something that, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, continue. Well, no, no, no. I was just saying, and go to work. So it's these luxuries I'm not used to as a teacher, mm -hmm. on a teacher salary in America, you know? I mean, it's so it's so true. I mean, you know, I, I'm born and raised in New York City and I was making, you know, a decent salary. But, you know, I still had to have a roommate because it was New York City. Like, even though I was making decent money in order to afford a, a decent lifestyle, I needed a roommate, you know, I had to save some money. And I'm in Costa Rica. And while the money is not what it was in New York, as far as when you do the 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 percentage of what you're taking home and what's paid for, because they said the perks about housing that's paid for. You live a pretty good lifestyle, and you know, and like, yeah, like exactly. there's a maid, like you said, there's a maid, the housekeeper that comes by, and these are things that I never could have imagined back in New York City to have somebody exactly. clean my damn apartment. Exactly. <laughs> so yes, exactly. there, there's this kind of That's privilege. What I try to explain to people, I'm like, it's not even what's in the bank, bro. Like, it's my peace of mind. Like, I can afford a maid, I can afford a grocery shopper. You know, it's really a peace of mind. So, yes, exactly yes. like you said, even if I was making 30000 but I could take home twelve, if I'm making 90000 and I'm taking home two, what is the point? <laughs> right, exactly. No, it's so what true. What is the point? That percentage, it's yeah, all about the percentages. Yeah, exactly. And that's where a lot of people were in denial with ourselves. Right. And, and as and as you mentioned, like, you know, you know, the whole bougie lifestyle. And yes, like it's definitely for expats in particular, right, that go into this international school realm is that there is a lot of perks involved. Like, you know, you get a flight home paid for by the school in some cases or whatever the case may be. Like you said, good health care. But the other part is not that, oh, yeah, we're living this bougie period of lifestyle, but it's about the hard work that we're putting into this profession, right? So people think like, oh, you got it good. Well, yeah, like I think I deserve this. You know, it's not that things were just handed to me on a platter. You know, we work hard. And like you said, in America, unfortunately, teachers are not treated well. It's a, it's a you know, we're the heroes, but you only call people that are heroes when you know they're not valued. <laughs> you don't call That's doctors it. heroes because you value doctors, right? You, it's only people that are not valued that are considered heroes. Oh my God, you do such a, you know, it's always those people like teachers of, you know, in our profession. So I feel like, I like the fact that we are valued in this international realm, you know, as far as education is concerned. So let's talk about now teaching. So I, I, I saw a glimpse of your profile. You mentioned your educational consultant. Is that correct? Yeah. So tell us a little more about that. Um, so I do a lot of educational philanthropy and I host a classroom trip every summer for teachers who want to come to Ghana and like educate kids there and just experience life in Africa. Mm. So in that way I'm I'm privately consulting. Awesome. And so how did you get that going? Um I went myself one year and everyone on Instagram was like, oh my God, like I wanna come oh, I'm a lost. So I was like, all right, shit, join me. <laughs> Next next summer, who wants to join me? So I started it one summer and it just went like that. Mm, mm. And, and this is how, uh, what was, remind me the, again the name of your Instagram page. Is it Brittany's Classroom? Caldwell, Miss Caldwell's Classroom? Um, Caldwell's Classroom. Caldwell's Classroom. There you go. There you go. And you're pretty, pretty good fo size following there as far as, and I'm sure people are following you with your efforts that like you said it in Ghana and obviously your life in uh, <laughs> abroad in Kenya. So how is that? How, how do you manage that? other aspect of your life which is you know building like you said in Ghana but also this teaching aspect in Kenya I don't I'm just kidding um, <laughs> it is expensive it's getting expensive so in the beginning I actually was spending too much time fixated mentally on Ghana and it was making me dislike Kenya more than I needed to you mm. know um I was just really like oh my god I miss Ghana like my house is in Ghana blah 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 like 
I didn't really open myself up mentally to Kenya as much as I should have because I was so fixated on everything that I have built and am building in Ghana. So I have told myself I'm only going to Ghana, even though I'm building, I'm only going there once every four months from now on. Um, I, I want to really focus on Kenya and like giving myself a chance to really spend time here where I'm at instead of running off to Ghana every chance I get, you know? Right, 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 right. And what do you teach in Kenya? IB history and it's so hard. It's awful. What, what grade? 11th graders. Okay, so you teach high schoolers. So let's talk about those differences because, you know, there are many from my experience. What is it like teaching in, you're in an international school in Kenya? Yeah, this has been the roughest assignment of my life. <laughs> Please do tell. Why? Um, in Atlanta, I was teaching 99% black kids with 99% black staff. And my international school, I have all white children. And I don't want to be like, oh my God, white, black. Like, that was a big problem. Because when I was letting people know, when I first got here, I said that openly on my Instagram. Like, yo, I've never taught this many white kids or have worked with this many white people mm. in my life. And, like, people were making me feel bad about saying the the W word, you know, white. Mm. Mm. Um, but it, it's a transition, um, to teach, and it wasn't even white per se. Let me not say that. It was I've never I've taught Title One my whole life, right? Of teaching, so to go from that into an international private school that costs thirty five thousand dollars out of pocket, right? For those not familiar, Title One usually is students in uh underprivileged and under resourced areas in uh the country, the United States. Yeah, exactly. Like kids who don't have fucking pencils, you know, like right, right, right kids who don't afford lunch to kids who like are paying $2,000 to ride the bus to school Mm. semester it was like a really big culture difference for me Um, my classroom has never been this nice my I have a MacBook they give us an Apple Watch a MacBook a computer (laughs) desktop and and an iPad wow it isn't isn't that the, the mind fuck right there? It, that, so what you're saying to me is the mind fuck of the the privilege that we get, right, as educators and people of color, you know, you being black, me being Latino and brown or whatever. And we're like, yeah, we deserve these things. But then in the spaces where we teach, doesn't necessarily look like where we were back home and why we even got to teaching in the first place. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't, like, it doesn't feel right, right. you know? Um, right. If my students don't have their basics, why would I want this, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So here where it's like the students have so much, I have so much. It's like I have YouTube so much about imposter syndrome almost. I had to get over. I had a heavy sense of imposter syndrome when I got here. Right. um, Because I never had that. Like I had to beg for a janitor to come to my room some days. Here we have a maid that sits in our, like, I have, it's hard to explain, I have four classrooms that are by each other, so we call ourselves a quarter, mm-hmm. a quarters, and it's four teachers, four rooms, and we have, like, one one janitor for our four rooms only who sits there all day. So, like, if I drop a crumb in the ground, she's sweeping it up. <laughs> and is this janitor black? Yeah, she's Kenyan. Mm. 
See, and that's the other part, right? Here, here you are as a black woman, right, in a, in a privileged position teaching privileged white, predominantly white students in a predominantly black country, and then there's a janitor that is not in a privileged position that is Kenyan, that is black, sweeping your classroom. A lot of different things that are intersecting there. <laughs> exactly. Wow, that's that's it's a lot. It's loaded. It's loaded. So it was a lot. It was truly a lot for me to emotionally hmm. digest when I got here. It was just a lot going on. Right. And so obviously those are the things I'm sure you're still managing, right? Because you've only been there four months. It took a lot of time to adjust, right? To have these adjustments happen as you're abroad. But what is one thing that you can say that you do appreciate about the school that you're in compared to maybe your past experiences in the States? Um, my kids teach me a lot. They're very well-traveled, well-knowledge. They've been all over the place. So I teach like international embassy kids. Mm-hmm. So they've been all over. Like, and they just treat a lot. So this is the first time where I'm really, truly learning a lot, content and emotionally, socially from my students, you know? Right. Um, They're really, really, really fucking cultured. <laughs> it's funny, it reminds me of the story when I was, uh, my first week, I started asking my students, I teach primary music. So I asked a group of second graders, oh, what's your favorite hobby? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they're going to say, you know, soccer or whatever. Uh, a kid goes horseback riding. And when I heard that, I'm like, I'm not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) I just left, that's so funny you said that. I just left my adopted nephew, Nico's house, um, my work friend's son, and he has been horseback riding. He was born in Kenya. His parents are expats. He's been horseback riding since he was two. He cleans the stable. He knows how to garden. Like, he is the most well-rounded little seven-year-old I've met in my life. Yeah. And, and let's let's talk about the social-emotional aspect because I, I do think it looks very different, right? I, I, I Classroom management for me back in the States was always a challenge, right? Teaching a group of, I told her, all-boys school. So you're teaching 30 kids in a, in a classroom, you know, and it was a lot. It, it was a lot. There were a lot of hard days. And I come here, I'm teaching co-ed, and I'm like, this is not, this ain't nothing. Like, this is, you know, 18 to 20 kids in a classroom. They seem to be, again, seem to be, you know, well-adjusted. But it comes across in different ways. The social-emotional needs that these privileged kids need compared to, let's say, predominantly kids that don't have all the things that one should have, right, as, as a child. So how have you experienced that with those kids in Kenya as far as, like, what do you think they need social-emotionally compared to the ones that uh, students you taught back in the States? Um, they have a different, so you have two sides. Like when I was in the States at Title One, you're like, dang, I wish the parents would care more, right? Mm. Here it's like the parents care too much and the kids are coddled. They feel like you owe them something. Like you right. owe me a good title. Like, right. you know, yeah, like that type of vibe. I miss like, um, they just seemed, my other kids seemed, and that's why the grass is never greener, my other kids seemed less stressed and less stressed to please their parents. So, like, that mm. social-emotional aspect of pressure and, like, oh, my God, am I going to get into Yale? Like, right. you know, is, yeah. So, this, with this, it's, like, literally I have kids cutting themselves, like, really stressing if they don't get an A compared to a B. Versus, like, back then, I would be like, dang, I wish my kids care if they got a fucking D, you know? Right, right, right. And and, it, and it's crazy that you said, so, I mean, that I think that answers the question that 
one might think that, oh, these privileged kids, they don't need help. No, they do. It just looks very different than the help that people... It's a different type, it's of, a different type exactly. of help. Exactly right. So the I think... The grass is never greener, and that's what I've learned, because I was like, oh my God, like I'm so ready to stop teaching Taiwan, but I'm ready to stop doing it. But, <laughs> right, you know, right. it's different. Yeah, truly, everyone has their demons. And now it's like I deal with parents who are so micromanaging. It is draining. Right. Kids who are so stressed about grades that it's draining. Um, asking you for a rubric every time you grade, like, <laughs> um, no, seriously, like, yeah. can you show me what I would have done to get an A? And you're like, oh my fucking god, just can take the grade, leave me alone, be happy. <laughs> Literally, can you just kill me? Like at this point, fuck. Like, <laughs> no, I, I think. It's so it's so interesting because I feel like, you know, you mentioned the whole thing, parents caring, not caring. I think that even that, I think, just looks different, right? Because I think sometimes parents, depending on, you know, where you're teaching, they care, but that might come across differently. Well, the way they show it, like whether it's with the teacher relationship or they might not have a relationship to begin with. Like you said, parents here or a, a different international realm, they might be more overbearing or they might be completely absent because they're traveling because, they, you know, they work so much and they travel all the damn time. That you might never even meet these damn parents. Right. Because I know there's some parents that I, I don't even know. I never seen these people's faces because they're always, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm staying with my nanny. You know, my dad is, is gone for a month. Yep. Things like that that are real. And these kids might have those same issues back home in the States. But, you know, their dad or their mom, they might not just be in the picture for whatever reason. Whereas these people, they're gone because that's their job, literally, to be not around their kids. So I think these kids, whether internationally privileged or not privileged domestic, these parents might be absent and it just looks different in the way that they're absent, right? They might be giving them the stuff they need materially, right? All right, I will be gone from up, but here's a, you know, PS5 versus, you know, it might look different in a different context. So I think it's so interesting how, like I said, all these things seem to intersect in some kind of way. And like you said, the help just looks different. It's a different kind of help. And I think that's a misconception that people might have about, you know, working abroad or teaching a different types of kids. But I think you brought that point home really well. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Brittany. So, all right. So we spoke a lot about that. And, I, and I'm glad we, heart, we we did because a lot of times I don't get to, t I talk to a lot of educators, but we don't get to talk too much about the teaching aspect. So what's one thing you would say that you said you're learning a lot from your students, right? What are you learning from your colleagues? Um, collaboration. Mm. Oh, man. In DeKalb County, we work smart, not hard. So we'll have one person who teaches all AP history, one person who teaches all AP US. You know, um, we're not like, oh, my God, we need to collaborate. Like, <laughs> here, they want to collaborate so much. It is draining some days. <laughs> They, they really take pride in that. So I would say, like, just the work ethic part of collaboration has been something I have had to get used to with my colleagues and learning from my colleagues to appreciate opinions and ideas in your classroom um, hmm. when we may deem it as unnecessary. You mentioned how you, you most of your colleagues are white, correct? Mm -hmm. So how do you view that collaboration coming from a... Uh, you know, an African-American, a black woman, and you're hearing this, let's collaborate from a predominantly white staff. How does that come across to you personally? 
I've had a lot of racial issues at my job that I've had to just communicate, like, hey, this is annoying to me, and hey, this is not annoying. Like, even me, I'm sure I've been annoying. Mm. Um, I have, I say you're black ass a lot on accident, <laughs> you know? Because that's literally, I'm not even trying to be funny, that's how me and my coworkers have talked to each other. Right. Like, you know? Like, get your black ass in my room at 5 o'clock. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and wait, who, who are you telling this to, though? You're telling this to your, your your white colleagues? Um, I've slipped up and said it to my Spanish colleague. I have two Spanish colleagues. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, no, just, like, over-comfortable. But I'm used to that culture. Like, I'm used to a different culture. Listen, I'm right, from right. Atlanta, Georgia. I'm used to, like, my work is cutthroat, like, honest, like, real, real for real, you know? Right. So, like, I'm not used to working on eggshells, walking on eggshells <laughs> with people. And, like, there are certain things that I say where I'm like, oh, no, 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 hold on, I didn't mean that. Like, you know. Um, this reminds me of Dave Chappelle's with Keep It A Real Goes Wrong. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not even joking with you. I have never worked with this many white people until I moved to Africa. Mm. There's a lot. There's a lot of irony in that. In that one statement you just said. <laughs> so much irony, like, and they're all European for the most part. They're not even American, so it's just like it's, it's very cultural, culturally. right, 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 right. Yeah. And and, and I want to make this clear because I think because I, I appreciate where you're coming from and for those that that listen because a lot of people listen from everywhere in this podcast. But this is not a anti-white thing. I just want to make this is not about no, right. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I know you're not. That's why I want to make it clear for those that are listening. And I'm no, sure for those that listen. My nephew yeah. Nico is white. My nephew Nico is white. Right. And it's Brayson's only friend since Brayson has been <laughs> here. Like, that is, that is my heart. And he's the most African boy in the world. Like, he's, he's um, one-fourth Congolese, three-fourth white. Right, right. And, and, I, and I appreciate where you came from. That's why I wanted to make clear for those listening that yeah, this no, is about... No, 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 no. Right. It's just, it's culture and it's culture, it's differences, mm-hmm. it's my demographic of kids, mm-hmm. it's just all of that. So, no, yeah. it has nothing to do with oh my god, white people, like, no, no. So, yeah, like, I, I think it's, it's I think it's super interesting, right? To, to, because, because, like, you're, I, it's funny because I had these assumptions before I even spoke to you. I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'm gonna talk to, you know, this person, she's a black woman living in, living in Kenya, you know, and then you're talking about how all your colleagues are white. That was like, I wasn't expecting that. So even I have my own assumptions just because you're in Kenya that you're going to, you know, this is going to be your work environment. Obviously, that's not necessarily the case. So now let's talk about yeah. outside of the classroom, right? Because you mentioned this thing about collaboration with your colleagues, you know, and all these different things. And you said like cultural things that you have to kind of, you have to manage, right? And for me being again, like you, like you an American and dealing mostly in American staff, I have a lot of American colleagues too, but they're also predominantly white. So when there is someone that is a person of color, that's black or brown, I tend to latch onto those people <laughs> just naturally. And also the fact that even my my locals, right, the Costa Rican colleagues that I have, there's a there's a cultural connection there as I'm Latino. However, it's very it looks very different because I'm not Costa Rican. And I also grew up in the state, so even some things that they might say, I might look at it like mm, this. I wouldn't say this, but you're saying that. All right, I can't really say too much, right? Because I'm not from here. But it's it's a it's you had a it's like you said it's a cultural. There's a gap that's there between even though you know I'm Latino and they're Latino doesn't mean everything is all nice and cozy, like white on rice. 
you know, there's cultural yeah. gaps there based on our own experiences uh, growing up and in, in raised in the United States. So outside the classroom now, obviously Kenya is a predominantly black country. What is it like for you as an American woman interacting with people that are Kenyan? What does that look like? So it depends on the setting. There's times where they try to play me like a white person and charge me extra. Um, there's times where they, my accent makes them feel like I make more money so they need to charge more money or like I make more money so they need to charge me more or treat me better than a local or like, um, I've had to be intentional. Let me say, I've had to be intentional about getting out of my expat space. Mm. So I live in like the best area in Kenya, you know, they want to keep us in the nice area. I have had to be very intentional about putting myself in local spaces to get a real experience. Mm. So I don't like to stay in Soho or like Brooklyn, like Manhattan, you know, right, like, right, right. I leave. I make sure that I am like interacting with people and like going to real places and eating real food because, you know, these schools place you in these specific little cages. And sometimes when you go to these areas and you're living your very American life, it's not authentic, you know? Um, you don't really get that Kenyan experience. So that's just what I've been doing lately is really traveling all around. Um, it's been cool. I don't feel unsafe. I don't feel weird as a black American or anything. Like I, I love it. I truly do. For do you, the most part, every experience has been positive. Do you feel like you fit in when you're just walking through the streets? Or you feel like a fish out of water? I spit one and my mouth is closed. <laughs> <laughs> when I start talking, they're like, okay, what is that bitch? Right, right. <laughs> um, but when I just That's so crazy. Mouth, Oh, yeah, that's literally my experience here. I I could walk around; they wouldn't look twice. But the moment I speak Spanish, they're like, "This is not Costa Rica Spanish. Where the hell is this from?" <laughs> yeah, where are you? Right. Who is this guy exactly? Right. Like, but you you really mentioned a very feel. interesting point, Brittany, about the moment you speak, they they they're trying to play you, right? But yet, right, you yeah, want to yeah. feel connected to the local community. So again, even in you being an American, we have this American privilege, right? You're, we're, you know, quote unquote expats. So we get better pay. We got these cool packages. We put in the nice areas around other people that are expats. So let's say whatever, similar minded in some kind of capacity. But like you said, then we were removed from actually living in the country and experiencing, like you said, the the real of that country. And you're not getting a real, like I said, a real authentic experience. But then you're trying to place yourself. What you're doing is very difficult. Trying to like, no, no, no. I got to leave this bubble and experience the quote unquote right real Kenya and speak to more locals and immerse myself in this community. But yet there's times where that works against me because I'm American. And their experience with Americans might look a certain way. So therefore they're going to treat you a certain way. That has to be tough. Yeah, it does. Um, It is tough. Especially when you compare, um, they treat white Americans and black Americans differently. Mm, what ways? Um, they prefer and like honor white Americans more. Mm. Hey. They, they consider that they're going to tip more, you know. Um, it's just like they get preference in line. Sometimes they can skip when like everyone Kenyans and African Americans are standing in line. It gets a little wild. Um, wow. But yeah, I swear it's a very colonial mindset at times. 
that's that's I mean, I can't even imagine seeing that, let alone experience that, especially like you said, coming from, like you said, your background and where you're from. And so how do you how do you react to that? Like, again, it has to be tough. But what do you tell yourself to kind of stay, you know, I don't know, Zen or kind of like, what do you do in those kind of moments like that? When you reflect on every time I'm in that type of situation, I, I honestly go off. So mm. that's me. Okay. <laughs> I'm a very vocal person. So I'll be like, excuse me, what would make her go in front of me? Right. What is going on here? I'm a very vocal person. Um, I've made YouTube videos about it and have gotten cussed out by other Kenyans, but I don't give a fuck because I'm just telling my truth. Mm. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, anytime I feel disrespected, I'm going to stand up for myself, you know? Right. So I'm in a restaurant and I feel like, oh my God, when a Mzungu, that's what they call white people, mm. when a white person walks in and they're getting more attention than me, I'm going to say something. That's so that's, that's so crazy. Of, that's a part of change, and you know? That's a right. part of standing up for yourself. Right, right, right. But it, it's, it's, it's making me think about back in the States how, you know, black and brown people might feel, you know, because what, you, what, you, what you're seeing right there, it could be, is a form of racism in a sense, right? Like, let's put this it person is. on a pedestal. It's self-hatred. Right, it's right. Self-hatred. Person on a pedestal because they're white, but person that's black, they're obviously must, they have to be lower class, so let's treat them less. And you might experience that in yeah. the States, but you're experiencing that, like you said, in a predominantly black country in the continent of Africa, but you said it has to do with this colonial or post-colonial kind of mindset because of the history of Kenya. Right. And the fact that it was colonized. <laughs> um, it's, it's so wild. It's. uh, Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> it just let me think about the things that we go through. Wow. Yeah. The things that we go through in, in uh, abroad, because there is this privilege. But yet this is other aspect like that you're speaking about. And I appreciate you talking about that. People want to think about because, yeah, living abroad is a beautiful thing. But there's still the underbelly of what the experience might look like, especially for a person like yourself, a black woman in Kenya. So let's transition. We we could talk about this for ad nauseum. (laughs) So, so, all right. So what are some things that you love about Kenya in particular that you feel the U.S. or where, you know, could learn from a little bit? Um, It's so much to do. They're so polite. Very, very polite, calm, um, very smart. Everything is convenient. There's not like a rush for work. People will come to your house. So like, I get my nails done in my house. I get my groceries sent to my house. Like the fact that labor is so cheap here. I feel like a big part of our lives as Americans is like, like slavery and labor. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to say that, but... Even women like, oh, yeah, I cooked my man this from scratch. Like, girl, who has time? That's exhausting. <laughs> like, you can't just hire somebody to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, why do we take pride in sweating? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, like, oh, I did it the hard way. Like, I, la, la, la. Mm-hmm. Like, no, here they really have mobilized to make your life easy. Um, we have Glovo. We have cheap maid services. Like labor is very, very affordable for people who have money, and it's added years onto my life. Mm. How, how old are you, by the way? I'm 39. Okay. I mean, shit. Yeah, I'm 29. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. You went to college? I'm like, okay. Twenty. Guys, what the hell? I'm 29. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. 
But you know, it's funny. You mentioned, like you said, you just mentioned this, it added years to your life. And I feel that a lot of people that I've spoken to during this podcast, they live in all parts of the world that are, whether they're black, Latino, whatever, they say there's kind of like this, this pressure's taken off of their shoulders when they're living abroad because they're living this life that might not have been possible back in the States. Like you said, like, yeah, we've, in America, hard work is super valued, right? But you said, why do you, do you always want to work hard? Like for, at all, at all times, like our jobs are hard enough. Do we have to always work hard outside of work too? <laughs> so I think it's, it's definitely, said, right, right. <laughs> it's definitely appreciated when you could, when that burden is taken off. Right, right. Yeah, it's too much. Right. I'm not trying to fight all my life. <laughs> okay, so now let's transition now to the final uh, segment of the podcast. It's going to be lightning round questions for you. Um, so let's get started. Let's see how you do, okay? All right. Okay. First question. What is your favorite phrase in Swahili? Karibu sana. What does that mean? Welcome. Welcome very much, my friend. Ah, Okay. What is your least favorite phrase? Mm, sawa, sawa. Which means? It's okay. It's all right. Basically, just forget it. Shut up. <laughs> and they'll be like, sawa, 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 sawa. It means like, shut up. <laughs> got it, got it. What's, what's your favorite place in Kenya? Nenyuki. Um, very nice city. Nenyuki and Navasha. I love the lakes here in Kenya. Very nice. So they have a lot um, of lakes there? So many lakes. Kenya is beautiful. Okay, okay, okay. What is the biggest misconception you think people have about Kenya? Like, oh my God, Africa, what the fuck? But it's very technologically advanced and they're very, very smart. Um, it's very city-like. This is a better city than Atlanta. Mm. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Yeah, I swear to God. I swear. So people just give it like that. Oh, my God, Africa. But, like, literally, I'm living better here than I ever could have lived in Atlanta. So, um, What's one thing that you've appreciated that you've learned so far in your time in Kenya? Be patient. patient. Americans, we move fast. We want everything super fast. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, right now, I'm in a rush. I've got to go here. Hurry up. Like. Right. Be patient and shut up. Like <laughs> you'll get it when you you get it when you get it. Sawa 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 sawa. Exactly. Sawa 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 sawa. Exactly. Like you're the ten minutes is not gonna make or break your life. Like right. just shut up. Final final question. You have about sixty seconds of the clock, so the final word will be yours, Brittany. What do you want out of Kenya in this remaining time that you have there? I want to come back to the United States with a consulting job or working for the government or like I just want Kenya to take me to the next level and give me the insight to do something different in education in the United States maybe otherwise just teaching I hope you enjoyed that episode of Brittany I most definitely did I appreciated her uh, her honesty, frankness about everything in regards to Kenya, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it in between. I think that's what I look for anytime I have someone on the podcast, you know, living abroad, as she pointed out, right? It's not just as, you know, it's not all roses. There's a lot of, a lot of things that 
one has to deal with and navigate in very awkward situations, which might be cultural, as she mentioned, or might be racial as well. And it's kind of wild hearing that while she's living in Kenya as a black woman dealing with these kinds of things because of the the privilege that people that are white would get over her in certain circumstances. But yet she has a life of privilege as well because she's an expat. So there's a lot of intersectionality that's going on there when one moves abroad, in particular, depending on the country you're moving to. I think that's so wild. I, don't, I can't think of another word. I know I say the word wild a lot, but it's just so wild hearing that uh, from that perspective. And it's But it's crucial to hear it, I think. And I'm glad that she brought it to the forefront. So I appreciate Brittany. And Kenya sounds dope. I mean, like she said, the misconception as far as, oh, Africa. So it, it has to be underdeveloped, you know, quote unquote, third world countries. But... Yeah, I've heard of Nairobi, and obviously you heard it from here. Super technologically advanced. They're doing well there, right, relatively speaking, in Nairobi and in Kenya. And she said, I didn't say, she said Nairobi's better than Atlanta. So if you're from Atlanta, you feel offended, talk to Brittany, not to me. (laughs) But yeah, I definitely want to go to Kenya. I've I've wanted to go for the past few years, and um, yeah, it'll be nice. Maybe I'll pay Brittany a visit or something. We'll see uh, in the future. But yeah, that was great. And I uh, just want to say to transition uh, uh, from this episode, uh, hope you guys have a happy holidays. I won't be doing an episode uh, while I'm abro- while I'm back home in New York or when I'm, I don't think I'm going to do one when I go abroad somewhere else. That still remains a secret. You will know once I get back from those travels. But I will have an episode on my holiday travels when I get back to Costa Rica, hopefully. So it'll be uh, some radio silence, hopefully not too much radio silence for me for the next couple of weeks. But I wanted to make sure to leave this episode for you before I went traveling. So, as always, if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I really mean it. It means a lot to me. Subscribe, follow me on Spotify, and any of your other favorite streaming platforms. Happy holidays, y'all. This is A Living Color Abroad. Peace.